You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 1 through 9, Atonement for an Unsolved Murder. Moses now addresses the case of an unsolved murder once they go into Canaan, something not dealt with elsewhere in the Pentateuch. He says, If someone is found slain, lying in a field in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess, and it is not known who the killer was, your elders and judges shall go out and measure the distance from the body to the neighboring towns. Then the elders of the town nearest the body shall take a heifer that has never been worked and has never worn a yoke and lead it down to a valley that has not been plowed or planted and where there is a flowing stream. There in the valley they are to break the heifer's neck. So to avoid intercity strife in cases where relatives might may have sought revenge, the town nearest to where the corpse was found were to take responsibility for the atonement. They are to take a heifer that has never been used for farming and lead it down to a valley that has a flowing stream. So the valley was opposite to the hills and mountains or other high places associated with idolatry. The person would associate themselves with the sacrifice, acknowledging that sin brought the punishment of death, and this animal was dying as his or her substitute. If there were no sacrifices, they'd have to pay for the sin themselves. So the Levitical priests shall step forward, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister and to pronounce blessings in the name of the Lord and to decide all cases of dispute and assault. So this affirmed that in this theocracy, the final judicial authority rested with the priests. Then all the elders of the town nearest the body shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley, and they shall declare, Our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it done. Accept this atonement for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, Lord, and do not hold your people guilty of the blood of an innocent person. Then the bloodshed will be atoned for, and you will have purged from yourselves the guilt of shedding innocent blood, since you have done what is right in the eyes of the Lord. So this hand-washing by the elders was symbolic and showed that although they accepted responsibility for a murder in their midst, they were free from the guilt attached to the crime. They asked that God not hold them guilty, and this is the concept of imputation or having a legal charge against you. If they did as they were instructed, they could be sure that atonement would be provided. Atonement is reparation for an offense or injury. In this case, our sins have offended a holy God, and the substitutionary death of the animal in place of the sinner satisfied God's anger against sin for a time. It carries the idea that because of the sacrifice, there is now peace between the offender and God, and they are reconciled. It also carries the idea of covering sin, much like the clothing God made for to cover Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And Psalm 32.1 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. It is sometimes called at one making use of the word itself to describe it. 
being assured of forgiveness helped them not to despair over their failures and guilt but it also cautioned them against further sin by showing them how costly forgiveness was we don't know if there are many cases like this or if they did this ceremony of atonement david claims his innocence in the murder of abner in the jonah narrative even the pagan sailors understand this concept then they cried out to the lord Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. The cities of refuge were provided to prevent the spilling of innocent blood. Later on, the kings of Israel and Judah were wicked and accused of shedding innocent blood. The society should have an abhorrence of murder and a fear of offending God. Therefore they must take steps to see that justice is done, or the guilt of bloodshed is covered. During the time of the judges, a truly low point spiritually in Israel, when the Levite's concubine was murdered, the tribe of Benjamin refused to hand over the guilty parties, but aided and abetted them, and a civil war was the result. We must beware of taking part in another person's sin. Verses 10 to 14, Marrying a Captive Woman. According to ancient war customs, female captives became the servants of the victors. Intermarriage was allowed in such cases, so Moses gives instruction to deal with them in a kind way. When you go to war against your enemies, and the Lord your God delivers them into your hands, and you take captives, if you notice among the captives a beautiful woman and are attracted to her, you may take her as your wife. Bring her into your home and have her shave her head, trim her nails, and put aside the clothes she was wearing when captured. After she has lived in your house and mourned for her father and mother for a full month, then you may go to her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. If you are not pleased with her, let her go wherever she wishes. You must not sell her or treat her as a slave, since you have dishonored her. So the month-long waiting period allowed her to grieve the loss of her family, accept her new situation, and prove she is not pregnant. It also tested the sincerity of the man's affections. One month was the standard mourning period for Jews. The purpose of shaving, trimming, and changing clothes represented a break with her old way of life and the beginning of a new way of life, as well as a purification ceremony. Then they could marry. If he took her as his wife, he must not treat her as a slave. If he later wanted to divorce, based on the provisions of Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, then he could not sell her as a slave, but must set her free. So this would not apply to any of the women in Canaan, since they were all doomed to destruction. And the only exception where this provision would be used was with Salmon and Rahab the harlot in the book of Joshua. Verses 15 to 17, Firstborn Inheritance Rights If a man has two wives, and he loves one but not the other, and both bear him sons, but the firstborn is the son of the wife he does not love, when he wills his property to his sons, he must not give the rights of the firstborn to the son of the wife he loves, in preference to the, his actual firstborn, the son of the wife he does not love. He must acknowledge the son of his unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all he has. 
That son is the first sign of his father's strength. So the right of the firstborn belongs to him. And this was written in the original as, If a man has had two wives, which implies they are two wives in succession, not consecutively. So other than kings, most Israelites would have had only one wife. Polygamy was not God's original intent for marriage. And this is direction on what to do with the inheritance for the sons. It is to be based on birth order, not favoritism. This is called the right of primogeniture. So there was favoritism with Isaac and Rebekah's sons, and this nation began with Jacob, who had two sisters as wives at the same time, as well as two servants who had also borne him children. So the baby wars recorded in Genesis 29 and 30 reveal the rivalry between the two sisters, Rachel and Leah, and the hostility of the brothers against Joseph carried on this sibling rivalry into the next generation. Verses 18 to 21, Rebellious Sons If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all of the men of his town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. So a child was not punished for weakness or slowness, but for stubbornness and rebellion. And this is the case of a long-term pattern of rebellion and disrespect of parental authority. Disobeying parents was disobeying God. When respect for parents is gone, society crumbles. This is not a small child or even a teenager, since they are called a glutton and drunkard, and only adults would be drunks. As an adult, he was responsible for his own actions and therefore must face the consequences of them. He could not blame his parents. There is no hope for him. It seems they have tried many times, so now the men of the town deal with it permanently. Again, we don't know if there was ever such a case in Israel. Knowing about such a law was likely a deterrent, since it says, Then all Israel will hear of it and be afraid. Verses 22 and 23, a curse on those hanged on a pole. If someone is guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. After a public execution, the body was permitted to hang on a tree for the rest of the day as a public display of the consequence of disobedience. This showed a high decree, decree of contempt for the outlaw. King David did this. However, the body was not to remain on the tree overnight, but was to be properly buried before sunset. Joshua would, fo would follow a Joshua would follow this directive in Joshua 8.29 and 10.26.27 with foreign defeated kings. This was not a reference to crucifixion since it was not practiced by the Jews but 
and only first introduced by the Assyrians and Babylonians and used widely by the Persians and Carthaginians and then perfected, if you can use such a word in this case, by the Romans. It would not be outlawed until the 4th century AD by Constantine. However, it did apply uh, uh, in Jesus' case, and therefore they didn't want his body left on the pole when they had an opportunity to take it down and bury it. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the Gospel do we find in this chapter? In the case of an unsolved murder, during the atonement ceremony, the elders would wash their hands, indicating they were not guilty of the crime and had no knowledge of it. During Jesus' trial, Pontius Pilate washed his hands before the crowd, hoping to absolve himself of guilt for sentencing a man he knew to be innocent to death. They asked God not to charge them with the guilt of this unsolved murder. Imputation is a bookkeeping term. Abram's faith was deposited into his account as righteousness, and this idea is also applied to Phineas in Psalm 106, 30 and 31. Faith was the written check and righteousness was the actual money. God deposited it. This was not a paycheck for anything Abram had done. We are bankrupt spiritually. Our account is in the red. We owe God more than we can pay. And if he did not credit our account with the righteousness of Christ, we would have no hope and would have to pay for our own sins. But thank God he has. They were not to be guilty of innocent blood. Judas realized when he betrayed Jesus, he had betrayed innocent blood. Paul said that since he had faithfully preached the gospel, even if it was rejected, he was innocent of their blood. So if they did this ceremony, which was right in God's sight, then they were assured that God would forgive them and provide atonement. When we truly repent, we are assured of forgiveness because of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Moses permitted divorce. But Jesus said, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but this, it was not this way from the beginning. So the penalty for rebellious children was harsh, but knowing about it was likely a deterrent to such behavior. The final judgment is far worse, but knowing about it causes us to flee to Christ for safety. We no longer use capital punishment in such cases, but structure and harmony must be a priority in the home, particularly if someone is in church leadership. In both cases of a captive woman or an unloved son, kindness and equity is to be shown. Neither were responsible for the situation in which they found themselves, and so they depended on the mercy of others. They were therefore to love their neighbors as themselves. God was concerned with protecting innocent victims of injustice, and we must follow this example to show love and justice. Crucifixion in the mind of an Israelite showed contempt of the person and the curse of God. To see someone hanging between heaven and earth demonstrated they were unworthy of both and had been abandoned by both God and man. That was why the Jews wanted Jesus crucified. They despised him so much and wanted him humiliated. They didn't realize it was their shame he was bearing on the cross. If a person's body was hanged on a pole after death as a public example, it was to be removed by sundown and buried. 
Jesus died at 3 p.m., so Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate to ask for his body. When he received permission, he and Nicodemus took Jesus' body and buried it that evening. A person hanged in such a way was accursed by God. If we are relying on keeping the law perfectly to find acceptance with God, we are under a curse if we fail to keep it. Paul said, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. So the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, The person who does these things will live by them. So Jesus was cursed by God so that we would not be. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Deuteronomy chapter 22. May God bless the study of his word.